What would I say to somebody who was thinking of doing life uni? I would say come prepared to learn a lot in unconventional ways and meet people that will journey with you at the same pace. If you're a fan of the Tent Talks podcast, then you or someone you know might be interested in life uni. Life Uni is a course that I have become involved in over the last year or so, and it is one of the most exciting things I've done for a long time. You will learn things that you didn't think you needed to learn and stuff that will tie into your everyday life. The Life Uni course takes young people between the ages of 18 to 25 and offers them a whole life discipleship program. We combine following the way of Jesus with life skills such as money management, conflict resolution, working off the land, nutrition, health, and other great topics. We eat together, we play together, and we even work together because the course includes options for internships, job shadowing, and volunteer opportunities for businesses and charities in the area. The course happens in the south of England, near Brighton. It begins at the end of September and runs for eight weeks, and registration is open now. Just go to lifeuni.co.uk for any more information you need. I've been telling my mum, I've been teaching my mum about a lot of the stuff that we've learned and she wishes that she had learned that when she was younger. Life Uni also offers open courses for anyone of any age or stage. These day-long seminars look at similar life skill subjects combined with following the way of Jesus. I would say if you want to invest into your future self, Come to Life Uni. Come with an open heart and an open mind. Yeah. Go to lifeuni.co.uk for more information. Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination. From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. Now we are in episode 11. Our passage today continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, got a few weeks of this. This week, we are looking at judging others. That's good. So, we're into now the uh, final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 1, and we're going to finish at verse 6. And this isn't one of those occasions, it feels like this is a clear-cut section. It's not one of those occasions, Stephen, where the redactors have added a subheading in a, in a wrong place. Is it? This is this feels like a good place to stop in verse six. Is that correct? Probably. Let me have a look. We'll see. We'll see. Why don't I read it out of um, N.T. Wright's version? Okay. And if you are at home listening to this, feel free to pick up the nearest Bible to you, or indeed flick on the Bible app and uh, 
we read from verse 1 of chapter 7. Jesus speaking. Don't judge people and you won't be judged yourself. You'll be judged, you see, by the judgment you use to judge others. You'll be measured by the measuring rods you use to measure others. Why do you stare at the splinter in your neighbor's eye but ignore the plank in your own? How can you say to your neighbor, here, let me get that splinter out of your eye when you've got the plank in your own? You're just play acting. First, take the plank out of your own eye and you'll see clearly enough to take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye. Don't give holy things to dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and then turn around and attack you. So we're going to see where this takes us today. Good. Really, really interesting verse at the end there, which seems completely, in some ways, incongruous with the rest of it. I know. I mean, this is why, as soon as you read it, I was like, I bet you that's one of those ones where we probably shouldn't have put the chapter break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do not, do, do you ever use that in your life? The do not throw to dogs what is sacred? I don't personally, but I'm aware of it. It's like one of those idioms that kind of, has made its way into the English language, right? And um, uh, and people use it, but I don't think necessarily people use it necessarily in the right way. I don't know if there is a, I mean, if it is just a, in some ways, it's it's a fairly straightforward idiom, isn't it? I mean, don't don't give what's holy to to dogs lest they turn and devour you. Like it's not that. Is it complicated? Yeah, but then you got the. I mean, we had a the talk on Sunday done by my associate was great and it looked a lot at what it means for us to throw pearls to swine as it was in the niv version right right but we'll come on to that we'll let why don't i know it's quite yeah. kind of traditional for us to start at the end we often no, do let's start we? at the beginning let's go let's back start to actually at the beginning so we have just covered the subject of money money yeah. led to worry quite literally we looked at where we uh where, where we want to be present in today that's the that's that's where we were left. You know, Jesus saying, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worries of its own. Yeah. Think, about where, think about where you are today and be present in today. Uh, and so we lead from that into this whole subject of judgment. So, Stephen, where should we start? The theme that we've noticed a lot is idolatry, if you'll remember. There's lots of things about, like, don't, don't worship money. <laughs> you know, you can't worship God or mammon there's don't when you when you give or when you pray or when you fast don't do it in public so that people can see you and give you your reward um and and underneath all that is that you're not supposed to do things so that humans see you you're supposed to do it so god can see you so if you're seeking a human's reward then you are committing some sort of idolatry right yeah so this is what's happening here in this judging passages as well there's a there's an it's part of that same theme which is don't assume for yourself a role that only god can do and another thing that we'll, we'll remember is uh, earlier on when jesus talks about calling your brother raka yeah right? a, a fool but th yeah, yeah. Th that kind of useless like where you just sort of are dismissing them completely from your from your life well and we discussed that i remember that there's a whole kind of element of which it's a dehumanizing thing isn't it you know raka is it's like they are they are lesser than human right than human. And so think, think what it feels like to, to look at another human being and say, you're nothing. You're not even human. You're nothing to me, right? That famous insult, like, you're nothing to me. You're dead to me. Like, think of what it feels like to look at a person and say that about them. Mm. So that's the feeling we have when we're talking about judging. 
All right. Okay. So the word is krino, which is the Greek word. And much like in English, the word in Greek, the, the word judge can cover quite a lot of territory. So we have, there are other types of judges. So we have one word that kind of covers more than one action, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a headline would be like, uh, actually somewhere else in the New Testament, Jesus says, stop judging and make a right judgment. They're like, well, what does that mean? So yeah, when he says, that, sounds, that sounds contradictory, right? Right, it's... because it's the one word that just does double duty. Yeah, yeah. So okay. the thing you're not, this is the headline, the thing you're not supposed to do is what that, that form of condemnation or judgment when you look at another person and say, you're nothing, you're nothing to me. You have nothing more to offer. When you're the judge, jury, and the executioner, right? You've decided that this person is done. That's condemnation. And we could call that judging. There is another type of judgment which we are supposed to do. So the kind of judgment where you are determining right from wrong or yeah. good from bad. I mean, the whole Sermon on the Mount is an attempt to help people do that. So it, it's not saying do not determine what's right and what's not right. right. It's do not look at a human and kill them in your heart. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I also, I also like to think of that there is such a thing as good judgment. Have a, have a think. Like I, I've done this before. I mean, I'll do this with the, with the listeners as well. But tell me, what is your favorite movie? We were talking about movies earlier. What's your favorite movie? I think my favorite movie is, it's quite typical, but it's, it's uh, Shawshank Redemption. Right. Okay. So your favorite movie, and I think maybe mine is, I don't know, I, I quite like uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, maybe. I don't know. Where mm. but, but your favorite movie is your favorite movie. You cannot get that answer wrong. Yeah. Okay. Because, because if you had said, oh, my favorite movie is, is watching paint dry. I, I, I put an iPhone up next to some paint and I watch it dry and that's my favorite movie. It's still correct. Yeah. That's still your favorite movie. Yeah. Even if there's not a single good reason for it, even if you would, even if that would lose every single awards ceremony, even if, no film critic in the world would ever agree with you. It's still your favorite movie. Yeah, it's un indisputable. Shawshank Redemption is John's favorite movie. Yeah. Right? And the reason why you have just made a right judge, you have made a judgment, and your judgment is correct. And the correctness of your judgment is not based on the data or the information or on argument. Right? The judgment is correct because you are the right person to make that judgment. There's a, a, such a thing as judgment that can be done by the person. What renders it correct is the person who's doing it rather than the criteria. And so one of the things that the early Christians, they liked to think about Jesus is they, they called him the judge. They, that was one of, one of their, they looked forward to Jesus coming to judge the earth. And they want yeah. that to them, that was gospel. So we often think of judging as, as really negative because we are thinking yeah. of it as condemning. Yeah. But there is a version of judging, which Jesus does, which is where he looks at something and he makes a statement about it. He declares, you're my favorite movie. <laughs> he looks at John and he says, you're my favorite movie. Mm -hmm. Or in Bible language, he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Mm -hmm. Or you're my brothers and sisters. Or you're my sheep. 
or you are sons, you are children of God, or you are this rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. Jesus makes judgments all the time. Well, and equally, he, I mean, those are very positive ones. He also says things like, you know, you brood of vipers. You know, he, he right. makes very clear. And, and the reason why he can do that is because this is all part of that thing that we've been talking about before, which is Jesus is at being portrayed as the one who's being at the heart of creation, the beginning of creation. He's the one who can judge justly and judge rightly because he's he is God. Yeah. So I'm not allowed to, to, to really to call you a brood of vipers or anything like that. I'm not allowed to say you have nothing left to offer to the world. Because I don't know that. Whereas Jesus, he owns it. So he's allowed to say it. Right? In the same way that you're not allowed to say to me, that can't be your favorite movie. Right, exactly. I can't, I could argue with you. We could have a discussion. We could say, oh, did you really like the acting? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I mean, nothing's going to change your judge. Your judgment is correct, yeah. right? And the judgment is correct because of who the one is making, who the one is who's making the judgment. Remember what it feels like to say, this is my favorite movie. Yeah. Remember what it feels like to say, you're dead to me. Yeah. What it feels like to say, you're dead to me. That's the one that we're thinking about when Jesus says, do not judge. But what it feels like to, to affirm somebody or to declare them righteous or to determine like you are a value and whatever, that is not what we're talking about here. Like, so Jesus can make those judgments. And in fact, he does, he does open us up to doing that ourselves. Uh, he, he does allow us to do that for others as well, to declare yeah. people. Yeah. But it has to kind of do with the, with the person that you are, not with the information that you are talking about so. well, and what's, and what's, but what's interesting culturally is that we are in a we're in a world where um even just simply making a judgment yeah a decision like you said you know what jesus is not condemning here is a decision about what is right and wrong what he's saying is don't put don't put yourself in the place of god don't that you know i am the judge we leave that up to god he does that um but, but, and, very, and actually, that's in an echo that happens all the way through these last recent passages. You know, don't worry. worry. It's God's, God's business to worry about tomorrow. You know, this is kind of, yeah. we yeah. hand that back to him. We're not going to worry about that. Money, we're not going to worry about provision because that's God's to worry yeah. about. And so here we are again. It's like, don't, don't think about what other people's, don't, be, don't place yourself in God's shoes. But he's also not saying, like you said, he's not saying you can't make any judgments whatsoever. So... But yeah. what's interesting is that culturally, even making a judgment that is one for yourself, yeah, is subject to that, that itself. People feel uh, I think language, the, the words I'm trying to find is quite tricky, but it's like just because I I believe something to be right or wrong, and I'm not imposing that upon anyone, it's just a view that I hold. Yeah, people say, "How dare you?" Yeah. How, you know, so, so actually we, it's, you know, our culture says not only can you not judge and place yourself in the position of God, but our culture also says you should not be making any judgments about right or wrong at all. In a pluralistic, relativistic world, there is no right. There is no right or wrong. It just is. Well, because um, we hear moral, we don't think that moral, dis, we hear moral discernment as condemnation. Like we think they're the same thing. Yeah. And it's because we are just using this word judge to do double duty. Yeah. and and they are not the same thing and this is something in fact a lot of what this jesus and his movement is about is is recognizing 
when something is wrong, but not, but not, not quickly rushing. So, so we live in a world in which doesn't think there's a difference between moral discernment and condemnation. So we, we hear them as the same thing. And it's not just secular liberals who are attacking Christians for this, like Christians do this all the time. Yeah. So they go, Oh, I have determined that that action or that uh, thing over there is wrong. Therefore, we must change it. We must run to change it. We must do what we can. We must organize ourselves, get some power, change the laws, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we right away, we think, oh, I've discerned something is wrong. And that's the same as me acting on it to get rid of it, right? We have combined our the word judge with like, judge means as soon as I know it's wrong, then I'm also going to be the executioner and the jury about it. Okay. And Jesus is saying, actually, there's a difference here. And a good example would be the turn the other cheek stuff that we looked at earlier. Yeah. Because, you know, when somebody sues you and, and they want to take your cloak, you should give them your coat as well. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, you should turn your other cheek as well. If a soldier makes you go a mile, you should go an extra mile. And every single one of those things that a wrong is being done to you, it is wrong. It's yeah. morally wrong that you have to go that extra mile. It's morally wrong that you're supposed to give the cloak. But Jesus said, I want you to do it anyway. So it's like discern. Yeah, this is wrong. And this is what we do when we're in the face of wrong. And quite often what we do in the face of evil is the exact opposite of what common sense tells us to do. Yeah, yeah. The common sense says, I see something evil. I must do everything I can to eradicate it. Jesus says, I see something evil. I'm going to do everything I can not to kill the human being who's perpetrating that evil, which is quite different. When we look at this idea of judgment, like you said, you know, you are dead to me. You know, we 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 wish they were dead, kind of. Yeah. Uh, principle is the Jesus action that he calls us to in this passage is to do the other thing that's counterintuitive. We're faced with something that we believe is wrong. We are making a judgment, a moral yeah. judgment, or whatever kind of judgment we we're making. And Jesus says, now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't say that that doesn't exist they're not saying he's not even saying that that judgment in and of itself is necessarily a wrong judgment what he's starting with though is saying before you even address the speck in your brother or sister's eye yeah look at the plank in your own so he doesn't say that that speck doesn't exist he doesn't say no, that, exactly. that thing that you've identified yeah, yeah. does is, is that thing that you've identified is still there but do the thing that again is counterintuitive which is what about the huge log you've got in your oh, own? I, I, before we go on to the specs and the logs, you're absolutely right. And I do want to talk about that. But yeah, yeah. I wanted to pick up on something that you said earlier, which is you're talking about like, we should let God be the judge. Like we shouldn't be the judge. We should let God be the judge. And we were talking about that. But then I quickly want to always say, we should be a judge. We are actually supposed to be judged. We are supposed to act like God. Okay? Here's the thing, because you're not supposed to act like you think God acts. You're supposed to act like God actually acts. How do you know how God actually acts? Well, Jesus is what God looks like. Yeah. So you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to think, oh, well, God is the one who's going to smite you with a lightning bolt. So I don't have to do it because God's going to wipe you off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. Guess what? God doesn't do that. Yeah. He judges your enemies with love. And in fact, even on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the God who makes it rain on the just and the unjust alike. He like he makes a moral discernment. He says there are just and unjust, and we're going to feed and provide for everyone. Hmm. But so ju- if you you are supposed to act like God, frankly, 
You're just not supposed to act like your little image of God in your head. You're supposed to act like God really is. Which is, you know, instead of anger, it's he's slow to anger. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. It's his submission to, you know, we throw everything we can at, at God and God takes it and even lets us kill him, which is mysterious. But that's the kind of image that Jesus is showing us, right? He doesn't call down fire on his enemies very pointedly. He doesn't get his angels to kill everyone. He doesn't do any of those things. And so he's like, yeah, don't uh, stop acting the way you think God acts and start acting the way God actually acts. Yeah. <laughs> Which well, is part so, of this judgment business. And, and that brings into it, it's your own sense of discernment. Like, because so often inadvertently or maybe not inadvertently most of us if you know it's inadvertent we we make god in our own image yes right which is idolatry no. again right which is idolatry again so when you are the judge jury and executioner when you are the one who says raka when you are the one that does all these things you are you are copying an image of you are acting like a god that you invented in the first place so the challenge that that jesus is leaving us is don't don't step away from judgment but but do so as, as though God would. Yeah, don't step away from moral discernment. Just step away from condemnation. You know, don't step away from... you. So this is where the logs and the specks come in, right? And you're absolutely right. So so in verse 5, he says, you know, anybody who has... Well, well let's read it. So he says, um, how is it that you will say to your brother, let me take that straw out of your eye or your speck out of your own eye? Look, the beam is in your eye. Hmm. First pluck the beam out of your eye, and then you will see clearly how to pluck the straw out of your brothers. So, I mean, note that the trajectory here is towards moral progress. I think you were right. Like yeah. the speck really does exist in this story. And so does the log. Um, and he says, you know, he doesn't say pay attention to the log in your own eye and then have nothing to do with your brother. Yeah. He says, pay attention to the log in your own eye so that you can help your brother. Yeah. And he also doesn't say, the spec doesn't matter. No. He, he, the, actually, you know, the end result of all of this is that the spec and the plank or whatever translation you got, spec yeah. and the plank are eventually removed. Exactly. Exactly. And they're bad to have. Like, you don't want a spec in your own eye. You don't want that. Yeah. And, and so he's using a kind of a humorous exaggeration. But the trajectory here is not towards every man for himself some kind of libertarian you know utopia where everybody's just a law unto themselves yeah, yeah not some sort of isolation and and everybody finds what's good in their own heart and then has nothing to do with anybody else the trajectory is towards we are helping each other yeah so there is a sense of discipleship here or moral progress towards something there's a there's a horizon to which people are moving right yeah so this we do talk about do not judge and Christians are are have been are so judgmental. They have been they are so condemning so often as a as an organized group and as individuals that when your kind of uh, secular humanist type person is is you know, says stop doesn't Jesus say do not judge what's wrong with you you know they they're absolutely right like they've got a real point. Well, let's before you go on with that thought, maybe yeah. maybe your thought is going to bring that to a full conclusion in the sense. Yeah. But why why is that? Why is it that we as Christians struggle with judgmentalism? Yeah, I think it's this idolatry because I think it's 
it's because, I mean, remember Jesus is talking to people who already are part of his kingdom. He's giving them a new law. He's saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, like he's giving them something. They are hearing something new. I'm the fulfillment of the law. If you follow me, it's like you're more righteous than the Pharisees, right? So if you are living on that, if that's the environment you're in, your head is going to get pretty big. And your temptation is now going to be to condemn the Pharisees or to judge the Gentiles or whatever, right? Or the other Jews who don't, who haven't got with the program yet and all that other stuff. Basically, as we have actually seen Christians do in this in, throughout the centuries is the thing that Jesus is kind of trying to nip in the bud right here in the sermon, mm -hmm. which is now that you are somebody who actually knows God and knows God's ways, be careful that you don't start to act like inappropriately to be careful that you don't start to get drunk on your own power i think is yeah. part of this right and i think a lot of certainly the problems of christendom well the problems of christianity got exacerbated with christendom so with when christians got into real power you really see this a lot so i mean once once christians have real political power even under Constantine and before, and uh, just after, that's when they start bringing in like the military, the state to to kill their enemies, like their theological enemies. So it was, you know, it was, it was with with Constantine and Christendom that you started having well, theological debates being solved by the sword. Yeah, where is, where where essentially judgment is met with a sentence, which is exactly so, it. Somebody has said, "Oh, I've morally discerned that your theology is incorrect." But it comes with hand in hand with, and now I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. So the condemnation and the moral discernment came together. And Jesus is very much wanting us to not have those two things together. That mm -hmm. It's okay to say, John, I think you're a heretic right now. It's not okay to say, and that means that I have chosen the right to wipe you off the face of the earth. Yeah. And yeah. But we live in a world, right? So, which doesn't like that it doesn't it doesn't know how to sit with somebody who says i think you're wrong and i think i'm right and i'm not going to try and fight you well and and it, it seems to me that that often happens when when there are groups in a majority right you know, so so you know in our secular western worldview that is now happening not so much well christians of course are party to that but but actually we see that playing out within almost a totalitarian liberalism i mean i can't go on social media anymore because of the the nature of discourse is just you can't sit in difference anymore you can't no. people and you know and and social media has atomized that you can unfriend people like that whereas you know yeah. even 50 years ago who your neighbors were who you worked with who you dialogued with who you sat with uh, in a pub having a pint with you didn't get much choice about that, that th it was who you had. Yeah. And, you, yeah. you know, and, and we're in a situation now where people can, people can be selective and then the echo chambers and all the rest of it, where, where that, where. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you can unfriend people because you disagree on a minor, you might agree on 90% of the world's issues. And then suddenly that you're, you're faced with the one thing you disagree with and suddenly it's gone, you know? And I, I think we don't know as a culture how to hold well, I think what's lacking is, 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 is humility, I think is the word I'm looking for. So if, if Matthew, if, if this passage here about specks and logs is going to work, if it's ever going to actually work in, and it does work, by the way, it really does work, um, where somebody comes 
like I've got a problem. I'm, and and somebody comes to me, and, and rather than judge me in a condemnation way, they come alongside me and they say, "I see you've got a problem here. I also had this problem, and I've solved it, or whatever." And here's and and there's maybe a bit of a confrontation. So at that moment, you're you're left with this choice of like, do I humbly accept the correction, or do I uh, make myself the king of my own domain? And I think Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that, especially Facebook and those kind of things, it's like you are just so tempted and encouraged actually to be the king of your own little domain yeah. where you just expel any voice that you don't like. Yeah. And I don't think the solution, by the way, on Facebook is to just start listening to voices you don't like. I think the solution is to get off Facebook, by <laughs> the way. It's bad. Like it's it's corrupt. It's a sort of a toxic environment. Yeah. Okay. Because the specs and the logs don't happen over Facebook. They happen when your brother, they happen in, in real relationship. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. They don't happen with like people that you've kind of, the algorithm has chosen to be your advertising uh, vehicle. <laughs> like it's, it, it's not, it doesn't work in that kind of way. It's not about argument. Specs and logs yeah. isn't about argument. Yeah. It's about a kind of a, well, you're self-aware, first of all. So if, if John, if I have said something to you that offends you, if I've got a real problem, if you're following the way of Jesus, not the way of the world, if you're following the way of Jesus, you go, okay, I have discerned that Stephen has a problem. So what Jesus says I have to do is now I have to be self-aware. So John has to think about himself now. He's like, I've determined that Stephen has a problem, but Jesus wants me to think about myself. Self-awareness. What am I dealing with right now? Yeah. So you actually judge yourself, as it were. Like you, 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 all that judgment you wanted to point to me, you actually sort of use that energy to think about yourself. You're like, oh, where am I hurting people? Where am I doing this? So you have to en enact a bit of humility in yourself, not to just yeah. lord it over me. And then now you're in the right place to come and help me. Because you're not coming in high and hot like the, like some king who's going to solve all the problems. You're coming in as a fellow traveler yeah. or as a traveler. And then you offer me the opportunity to be like, am I going to be humble and accept this correction? Or am I going to be judgmental of you? But hopefully, if we're brothers in this kingdom, then I'm also listening to Jesus. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, oh, right. We're in the log and the spec situation right now. And John has done his homework. He's done his self-work. That must mean that I've got a spec. So I'm going to learn from him, right? And so there we're developing a kind of a mutual relationship. Yeah. There. Yeah. And, and But it comes, it, it doesn't come from being godlike and swooping in and solving the problems. It comes from a, a basically a humility or teachability. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I feel like the, the transition between modernism and postmodernism, you know, modernism kind of claimed there was an objective truth out there to go and find. And, and what that led to, I found right. certainly kind of 80s, 90s was this kind of kind of slightly arrogant claim that anybody who claimed that they had the objective truth meant that they right. were the, they were placing themselves in 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 the seat of of, of judgment. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and the good thing about postmodernism is it said, well, hang on, not not any one person has it. Yeah. Uh, and we can come together in community and, and discover what truth is and, and discover yeah. what this is. Now, of course, we go down the other way where there is no truth and there's not one thing that you can discover. And so kind of the, the pendulum has swung the opposite direction. But there, but there is, a, there is a, a good thing that I often kind of go into any conversation thinking, 
I have got something to learn here. Just simply being in relationship with one other person right. means that I, am, I don't see things 100% the same way. And, um, and that doesn't mean that they've got to somehow meet me because I've discovered the objective truth. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's that together we, we form this thing that we can discover what is right or wrong and, and make, a, make a judgment that is appropriate together in that place. I mean, and also one of the, the eternal truths that you discover, by the way, is that it is always true that your group is not good and that you are not God. That is always going to be true. Like your group does not have the final word on goodness and you do not have the final all-seeing word of God. Yeah. And the, that is like an objectively true thing or that's always true yeah. at all times. And yeah. it is also extremely uh, of the moment. It always makes you have to think like, oh, right. I, I am always going to be aware that whatever it is that I think my group has, it doesn't have everything. Yeah. So it, it, it sort of is where postmodernism and modernism meet. Yeah. Because there is such a thing as eternally true truths. Mm -hmm. And the eternally true truths are always throwing you back into the moment to reassess where you are right now. So helpful. And that's part of what's going on here. Because if you think of how the restored kingdom of Israel. So if the Sermon on the Mount is a restored kingdom, which it, it, it gets described that way. And um, later on in the book of Acts, the, the disciples are going to ask for the restored kingdom. And Jesus is going to offer them his holy spirit and this kind of stuff but one of the visions for the restored kingdom was that you have no longer have any need of kings or priests or mm. leaders but that every person will have the law in their own hearts they won't need teachers anymore they won't need mm. policemen mm. and and the law is going to be in in your hearts you won't need to be asking other people what do i do yeah and the sermon on the mount is part of that right so it's definitely not about moral indifference it's definitely not about there's no such thing as right or wrong and there's only your truth and you have your truth i have mine it's not about yeah. that but it is about like we are trying to it's very non-hierarchical actually this is partly where christianity's got really addicted to hierarchies but the sermon on the mount is not hierarchical it's about like uh, people with problems coming to help each other out yeah, because that guy with the speck or the guy with the log, they also have the truth in them. They have the law in there, in their hearts. Hmm. Yeah. So it isn't about like being a, a morally pure on the outward, you know, the, the righteous Pharisee type person who's got all his shit together. It's not about yeah. that. It's about like people kind of working with each other, not not always looking to one person up on a pedestal to do all the work for them. Yeah. So. You know, and so I, I guess I would say it's discernment is not damnation. And it is a constant reassessment of your own position, too. Like, it's very, you, you have to be very self-aware. I mean, think about, we, we think of some of our problems we have with di different leaders. I'm thinking of the kind of, you know. No, that, no names, no names. No, no. I, there's a famous podcast right now about a, a famous American leader. There okay, yeah, 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 right? yeah, 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 yeah. I've listened and, to that. You know, one of the main things about any any toxic, Christian leader that you'll you can care to name uh, will probably be because of an extreme lack of self-awareness yeah okay a, a sense of like well I've got it I I got the degrees or I got the voice of God or I had the prophetic vision or I have the success so I'm set I'm done yeah and now I can take this and give it to other people and 
there is instead a sense of no you're we're always being assessing ourselves we're always just because you did have the prophetic dream once doesn't mean that yeah, you, you have no no more work left to. Or, or even if you did have that prophetic dream, there may be others to contribute to that. It's right. Um... Again, it's that humility or the idea that 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 we're being formed. You're not being formed in the kingdom. You're not being formed into an into a big man on campus, into a dominant. Yeah. That's not what's going on. We're all being formed as fellow fellow workers. Yeah, and then what's fun is that that God gets portrayed as a fellow worker in the vineyard as well, not as a big dominator. Hmm. So it's like there's no dominator, there's no big man on campus in this in this vineyard. So interesting. So where next? Well, you got this: give to dogs what is sacred, which is we're not sure what give to dogs what is sacred if it belongs at the end of this passage or at the beginning of the next one. It's Sometimes the Sermon on the Mount, it's been described as a string of pearls strung together. Hmm. And it's clearly lots of different sayings of Jesus just kind of put one after the other. And there is a, there are some themes to it. Obviously, Matthew is not just throwing stuff random at the page. But if, if, if do not throw to dogs what is sacred, that is an act of moral discernment, right? So there might be a sense there, like, be careful who you, who you teach. Be careful who you offer your, your goods to. Be careful who you approach. Is that, I mean, dogs in this in this culture would have been kind of vermin, were they? Or well, I mean, the thing one thing about dogs and pigs is that they're both gentile type animals, so it seems pretty condemnatory. It seems pretty judgy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They're they're despised and and they're code words for gentiles. So we're not quite sure what's going on here. Um, but what he's doing is he's by bringing up pigs and dogs which has that kind of overtures of gentiles and and you know that calling a gentile a dog was a well-known phrase and it yeah. comes up in other well, we still have come up in Marxism, didn't we that exactly one. right so it, we got something going on here where he's talking about the people of god or, or a new rule of life for the new people of god because the gentiles are the not people of god yeah so by talking about pigs and dogs you're already in that world of talking about peoples of god and not peoples of god yeah now the Sermon on the Mount is for the new people of God. Yeah. So there's those overtones there, which, by the way, as we've already known from Matthew four, is made up of Gentiles as well. Yeah. So it's definitely not an anti-Gentile phrase here. No, I mean it would it would be incongruous for that to be an anti given the context. Yes. So it's not an anti-Gentile phrase, but he's using a phrase associated with Gentiles in order to highlight we are talking about peoples of God and not peoples of God right now. Now, when I hear the word pearls in this passage, I'm, yeah. I think about when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being the great price. So, yes. I, you know, he, he's not he's not a stranger to using the image of a pearl to represent something quite significant. It's not it's not just that which is of worth of value. It is, you know, I, I, I almost want to translate that. Don't throw the things that represent the kingdom of God to the pigs. Yeah, so I, I almost wonder if they're synonymous. I mean, there is also I, I read a, a great somebody was writing about it in one of the commentaries. It was like, well, pigs can't eat pearls, so you got to give pigs what they can actually eat. <laughs> like, so there's a sense of like, well, don't, don't, don't throw to pigs what they can't eat because otherwise they'll just trample you. Yeah, give, throw throw pearls, throw pigs stuff that they actually think is useful and valuable, yeah. right? 
So that's another interesting sense. There's a sense of humility there as well. It's like, don't just teach people what you think they need. Give yeah. people what they actually need. Yeah, yeah. And again, it throws you back onto yourself. Like, don't, don't think you're so smart that you can solve everybody's problems. And that could be a connection there to the, to the log and the spec. Because it's like, give pigs what pigs need. Don't give pigs what you think they need, what you think yeah. is valuable, right? And there's also something there here about keeping your own house in order. So if it has to do with people of God and kingdom of God, the idea, do you remember they quite often are sort of focusing on insiders and outsiders in these stories? Yeah, yeah. Not in a sense of total exclusion, because anybody can be an insider. But there is an inside and an outside. Right. And anybody can be an insider, but we still have that. There are people who aren't, who haven't said yes to God, and they're not in the kingdom of God. And Jesus seems to be more than once in more than one place. Jesus does seem to talk a little bit about like, get your own house in order first. You're a city on the hill. Um, take the speck out of your own eye first. Like there's a lot of, or take the log out of your own eye. Don't judge others. Think about yourself. When it comes to poverty, you know, the, 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 the way the early Christians approached poverty was not to solve all poverty everywhere. It was to make sure that there was no poor amongst them first. Mm -hmm. And you could see this don't throw to dogs and pigs is part of that, which is like, keep, keep back what's good for the people of God. And don't just sort of spread it willy nilly everywhere because the people that you spread it to don't want it yet. Yeah. So there's something there about, about focusing yeah. your energies. Yeah. And then they turn around and attack you. So it's in, there's this kind of interesting. Yeah. It does. I mean, it does feel, is it just me or does it feel like it's kind of an odd thing to just stick there? It doesn't, I'm sure it does tie in. It does have context. Of course it does. Yeah. But you know, suddenly you're into, you know, judgment. Yeah. I'm with you. Jesus. I get that plank spec. Got that. And then this idea, then suddenly dogs and pigs emerge and then, and then even at the end of that, it says, if you do throw your pearls to pigs, yeah. they will trample them under their feet and then turn around and attack you. So yeah. you're asking the question, is it the pigs? Is it the dogs? Who's, who's attacking me? And well, you know, what, what is it? It's, it's not just choose, choose the right kind of packaging for the message, as it were. Right. But there is, of course, a kind of, hang on, there isn't just a kind of a passive reaction that, where no, it's a very angry. There is an active yeah. aggression that comes if you if you kind of play. How do you read that? Yeah, but again, isn't it interesting because it's not that whose fault is it that the pigs and the dogs are attacking you? Or the 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 pearl thrower? Yeah, right. So whereas us self righteous Christians, we like to identify our enemies, and we like to say, "Oh, they're persecuting me. They're attacking me." Uh, I, I went and I picketed outside their their gay bar. I went and picketed outside their courthouse. Or I went and did this or that. Or I, 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 I protested against them. And now they're attacking me. And you're like, well, whose fault is that? <laughs> you know, like, so, so rather than kind of uh, seeing the world as like constantly being attacked for always doing what's right, Jesus kind of does it the other way around. He says, well, why were you in that place in the first place? Why are you doing that in the yeah, first place? Yeah, what's your objective? What's your objective? Are you just trying to piss people off? Yeah. Again, that idea of like, pigs don't want pearls. They want corn husks. Go go feed corn husks. Yeah. And, and this is part of what even James talks about. So if you remember the book of James, 
if we were going to do another like sequel to this, we'd look at the book of James because the book of James picks up quite a lot of themes of the Sermon okay. on the Mount and puts them into practice. And really famously, James is the one who says, what good is it if you talk about the gospel to somebody and they're, they're hungry, mm. right? Uh, the the, the mm. religion that God requires is this, that you take care of widows and orphans. And that could be similar here. It's like, why are you preaching to people? They don't want preaching. They want help. They want food. They want friendship. Why are you throwing something to somebody that they don't even want? If they attack you, that's your own fault. That's not their fault. It feels to me like, uh, as we bring it to a close, it's just, there's this kind of theme of listening, the posture of, of one that listens, listens to ourselves, you know, where, where are the things in our own lives that, that we need to remove? L listen to those that we are feeding, as it were, and what they need rather than what we think they need. They're kind of, it feels to me like there's a posture of just listening first and speaking and judging later. That, that feels really, really critical and really important. Well, especially for people like you and me, whose job it is, is to talk a lot. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we set aside an hour every Thursday to talk just the two of us. <laughs> so uh, maybe we should do some listening. Yeah, well, on, on that note, Stephen, thank you for joining us this, uh, this evening. Oh, thanks, John. Thanks, friends. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.